Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. I'm excited this morning because uh, we have some, we have, I believe, about nine individuals who are going to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Baptism Sunday is always a it's always a great Sunday, amen, uh, because people are making that public profession of, of, their, of their faith. They already accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and now they are going public. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful moment, amen. But before we get there, I want to preach the word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And we're going to be reading out of chapter 18, Verses 18 through 30. And when you have it, you can give me a nice amen. 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 And if you don't have it, I have it up here for you. But if you need some time, just let me know. Just wait a minute. Pastor, I want to read out of my version. I don't like your version. (laughs) Amen. It says this. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and your, uh, and your father. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come in eternal life. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, my God, because I know that you are you have already spoken, Father God, this word over me. Father God, and I pray, Lord, that I may uh, I may just be your mouthpiece this morning. Father God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring conviction and you bring life through this word that is uh, that it is alive and active in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to I want to start this morning with a question and. It's a, it's a personal question, and you don't have to answer it out loud. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I want you to answer it to yourself. The question is this. Do you desire to be holy? Amen. I want you to think about that. It's, it's, it's a big question. I'm not, I'm not asking, would you like to be holy? Like, would you like a donut, right? I'm asking you, do you desire to be holy? Do you strive to live a holy life. That is a, that is a constant prayer of mine. I, I say, Lord, anoint me. Lord, purify me. Uh, lead me not into temptation. I, I want to I live a life that is pleasing to you. For me, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's a desire of mine. But it's not just a desire. I, I feel it kind of as a responsibility to strive to live a holy life, honestly. Because 
I'm a pastor. But I w- as I was thinking about this, are we not all called to live holy lives? Did God just tell the ministers, be holy as I am holy? Did he not tell an entire body of people, be holy as I am holy? So do you strive to be holy? Think about that this morning. I think to answer this question, it's going to be determined by the way that you define holiness. If I were to pose the question, what must you do? To be holy. I I think that we're going to have a whole bunch of different answers. If I were to ask you. What must you do to be holy? I think that evangelicals will probably say prayer. Fasting. Reading your word. If you're a a messianic Jew. Which are Christians. But they, they hold more to the Jewish tradition. They might also say. Not trimming your beard. Not cutting your hair. Not eating unclean meats. If you're a Catholic, Catholics can be Christian too. You might say confession, keeping the the sacraments, attending mass. You know, some, some Christian traditions would even call our church heathenistic because we allow drums. Don't people know that drums have pagan origins? Don't, don't they know that drums are demonic? Surely a church that will allow drums is not a holy church. If you read the book of Leviticus, holiness takes on a whole different meaning than the ones that we would consider holy today. God spoke to Moses and he commanded them to be holy as, as he is holy. And then he began setting forth all these commandments that we don't practice today. So how are we to define holiness when Christians all disagree on what it means to be holy? I think this message is is long overdue, Um, not because we don't speak about holiness. I I believe many churches speak about holiness, and we're pretty good about calling people to holiness and away from sin. But we're not always very good at teaching what holiness is. We just assume everybody knows it. We just say, be holy. Just like we tell people, just have faith. Well, I, I don't know how to have faith. Tell me how to have faith. Maybe I'll have faith. And so this morning, if it's okay with you, I want to I want to teach a little bit. More, more, than, more than preaching, okay? Uh, I might not yell as much today. It's all good, man. Night of worship took me out, took my voice out, so it's probably better this way. But, but, you know, holiness is essential to the Christian life, amen? In fact, I'd say it's synonymous with the Christian life. You cannot live a Christian life without living in holiness. This is because the moment you receive Christ is the moment that the Holy Spirit enters you and begins to sanctify you and set you apart. Does this mean that you're going to be perfect? Does this mean that you're never going to sin? No, but it does mean that you repent and you continue through that process of sanctification. It means that when you drop your cross, because sometimes we slip and the thing that we're carrying, we end up dropping. It means that when you drop your cross, you get right back up and you're like, man, I dropped my cross, but I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to keep on going. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're never going to drop your cross. It just means that when you do, you're going to pick it back up and you are going to keep on going. The moment that you drop your cross and you say, you know what? I'm just going to leave it there. That is the moment you leave a life of holiness. No matter how many Christian songs you know. No matter how, no matter if you have a habit of praying for your food. Doesn't matter. 
I could tell you, man, well, I, I've been so far away from God, but I've never missed a prayer for a meal because it's just, sometimes it's just habits. Like, even when I was a kid, I, I, t- I think I told you all this before, I would always say a prayer every single night. We weren't living in, in the ways of God. We, we, we weren't going to church. We, I mean, we, we had really nothing to do with God. But every single night I would pray just in case the rapture came. And I was like, oh, hey, Lord Jesus, you know, just forgive me real quick. Forgive me real quick. <laughs> I wasn't living a life of holiness. No matter if you come to church, no matter if you do all the Christian things, to live a life that is holy. And I want you to get this. It's not dependent on things that you do or things that you abstain from. Rather, it is dependent on a person that inhabits your entire being. Amen. Amen. And so I entitled the message this morning, One Thing. Can you say that with me? One Thing. I called it One Thing because many times we think we've got it right. Many times, man, we can even make a list of all the things that we do correctly while missing one key ingredient that truly makes the difference. And see, this, in this story, Jesus was talking to a young man. He was, he was rich. He was, he was powerful. He was a ruler. He had his youth. Oh, he was probably healthy. And, and, and he asks Jesus this very profound question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. It's a big question. And who better to ask than Jesus? The problem was the young man didn't know who he was asking the question to. See, in his mind, he was asking the teacher, Jesus. In his mind, he was asking the rabbi, Jesus. He was asking the great, famous preacher, Jesus. But he was not asking the son of God, Jesus. So he refers to him as Good teacher. And it's worth noting that, that no other teacher in the Bible is ever mentioned as, as, as good teacher. So there's no doubt that this man recognizes something special about Jesus. Perhaps he even believes uh, him to be the Messiah. But that's not enough. See, Jesus wants us all to see him not just as a good teacher. Not just as your healer. Not just as your provider. Not just as a prophet, not just as your miracle worker. He wants you to recognize him as the son of God. Because that is, that is his essence. That is who he is. So Jesus asks the question. He responds back. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Now this, this uh, I'll admit, this, this part of scripture, it has puzzled a lot of people. Why would Jesus seem to deny his goodness? Why does Jesus say, why do you call me good? If he knows that he is God and he knows that God is good, he is therefore good because he is God. So why did Jesus ask the question? And I'll tell you, it wasn't because Jesus didn't believe that he was good. It wasn't because he was he was making himself less than the father. See, when we read the question, we kind of think of it as Jesus taking offense. Why do you call me good? How dare you call me good? That's that's not the tone. The way that Jesus was really asking the question, it's almost as if he said, I'm curious. You call me good. Why do you call me good? He was wanting to know genuinely. He wasn't asking a rhetorical question. He was asking the man, 
Why do you call me good? You say I'm good, but do you understand what you are saying? He was pressing in on the man to identify him as God. He was pressing in on the man to say, you know what? The reason I call you good is because I recognize you as divine. I recognize you as the son of God. And that's why I call you good because no one is good except for God alone. But I know that you are God. That's what he was looking for. It's the same type of question that he asked the disciples when he says, who do they say that I am? Okay, now who do you say that I am? Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus was always pressing in on people for them to acknowledge his divinity. Peter recognizes it. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He equates Jesus with God because he is God. And Peter is commended for his recognition of his divinity. The young ruler didn't do that. In his mind, he was asking Jesus, the good teacher, the famous and wise Jesus who seemed to have all the answers, but he failed to recognize his divinity. And so the answer that Jesus gives is an answer that meets the standard of a teacher, but not the standard of God. You hear what I'm saying? The first answer that Jesus gives this man is not an answer that meets the standard of God, but it meets the standard of a teacher. And you know what I've realized? The, the quality of the answer that you receive depends on what you already know about what you're asking about. So, for example, if, if two mechanics are having a conversation and they're asking each other about cars, they're going to speak in a whole other language that I, I know nothing about. Because I don't know anything about cars. I know how to drive. That's it. Like I can operate a car. But if, if I were to you know, ask a mechanic a very complex question, he's going to have to dumb it down a lot. He's going to have to leave out a lot of details because I'm not going to understand what I'm asking about. And see, in the Christian faith, it's a lot like this when it comes to the questions that we ask. I, I'm, I'm a pastor. I've seen people go from baby Christian to mature Christian. And I've noticed that before a person comes to Christ, and maybe you can, you can testify this in, in your own life, the questions are, are very different than the questions you're asking once you're a seasoned Christian. The questions that you're asking are, are questions about God. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit? You don't even ask who is the Holy Spirit because you don't recognize him as a person. You, you don't know what it is. So you say, what is the Holy Spirit? What is heaven? Is, is, is hell real? Why would a good God send people to hell? And then once a person accepts Jesus, their, their questions go a little bit deeper. Now, now it's, now I want to know a little bit more about Jesus. Now you want to know a little bit more about the Bible. What, what does the Bible say about this? What does God think about this? What are the ordinances of the church? How can I grow spiritually? What's a good version of, of, of or a good translation of the Bible? How do I wrap, wrap my head around the Trinity? You get the, to those type of questions. Amen. But then you can go another level deeper. And when you go even deeper and you begin to have an intimate, someone say intimate, when you begin to have an intimate relationship with our holy God, your questions change again. So now it's not so much about Christian topics. The questions are more personal. 
They're not even to other Christians. It's not, it's not, let me ask my pastor this question. Now it's, let me go to God and let me ask him, what do you want from me, God? What do you want from me? What is your will for my life? Reveal something to me. Speak to me, God. I want to know you more. If you want profound answers from the Father, you got to go deeper. Now, the man asked a very profound question, but there was so much that he didn't understand about Jesus. So Jesus gave him a very basic answer. So he says, well, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your parents. Jesus gave him the answer that any other Jewish teacher would give him. Because to this man, Jesus was, he was, he was just a good teacher. And the young man, he pushes back. He says, Jesus, I've done this. I've done, give, give me something more. Come on, I'm, I'm not just talking to a teacher. I'm talking to the good teacher. I expect a good answer. Give me something a little bit more. Matthew's account records a man saying, I've done all this. What else can I do? And the gospel of Mark, I love what the gospel of Mark says. After Jesus, after the man said all of this to Jesus, the gospel of Mark says that Jesus looked at the man and he had compassion over him and he loved him. He had compassion for this confused, lost man who thought that eternal life was something that could be met by human effort. Just tell me what to do. And I wonder if there's some of us in the room that are thinking, what, what can I do to be holy? What can I do to make sure I've got eternal life? Should I pray two hours every morning? Oh, shoot, should I make it three hours? Because three is better than two. Dang it, should I make it four hours? Should I fast five days a week? Six is probably better. Dang it. Seven is, seven is better than six. Yeah. Should, I should I listen to worship music all day, nonstop? See, I think that, that we all, even seasoned Christians, I think that we all have this incorrect habit of viewing holiness as something that is dependent on human action. Right? So, so the, person, the, the person who prays for one hour is not as holy as a person who can pray for two hours. The person who thinks that the preacher should preach for 35 minutes is not as holy as the, the, the person who thinks that he should go for 60 minutes. Now, all of these things, you know, living a holy life, it includes many of these things that we're talking about. But it's not about anything that you can do. It's about who you're connected to. I love what, what uh, Vodi Bacham says about this. He says, he says, hell will be filled with people who didn't drink, didn't cuss, and may have even been baptized. Why? Because none of those things make a person a Christian. So how many people will not receive eternal life even though they didn't steal, cheat, and murder, even though they gave to charity, even though they helped the poor, even though they did good things? Hell will be filled with people who by human standards are good people. People who prayed, people who prophesied in the name of Jesus, people who never missed a Sunday. And if that is the way that you think of holiness, I want to introduce you to a man named Jesus. The, 
the man, the rich young ruler, he basically told Jesus, well, we've all heard so many times, I'm a good person. I've done all this. I'm a good person. I've kept the law. And so finally, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. He says, I think it's verse 22. He says, one thing you still lack. See all the things. You can have all the things except for the one thing that matters when it comes to holiness. This, this, this one thing, in fact, it was the only thing that Jesus cared about. He says, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Come follow me. That is the key ingredient. Come follow me. The Old Testament, God instructed his people to be holy because he is holy. God is the standard for holiness, right? I want to say that again. God is the standard for holiness. And so if they were to be holy, they had to, fo- they had to follow the holy God. They were to leave their normal life behind and follow God. This is why God gave his people the law, because the law was so different than anything else any other nation had. No one else had the law. You know, the, the word holy literally means apartness. It means consecrated. It means to be different than what is normal. So God was calling his people to follow a new standard, one that was completely set apart from the other standards set by men. Now we fast forward to the New Testament. We get to Jesus, and Jesus, again, is, is fully God and therefore holy He calls everyone to follow him because he is holy. You want eternal life? Follow me. I must become your standard of living. You're still with me, right? This is a very theological message. You're still with me. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, because everybody in the room is like, I, Pastor Ryan, I follow Jesus. I'm good. Can I check out now? You know, times baptisms, (laughs) you know, everybody's everybody's saying, I follow, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm good. But Jesus didn't just tell the man to follow him. Jesus asked this man to give away everything that was probably what made this man proud. He told him, he said, you can't bring your earthly treasure with you into heaven. You can't bring your treasures into heaven. There's treasure in heaven. You have to leave behind your treasure here. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, okay, that wealth is is sinful. He's not saying that status is sinful. This man, he was a ruler. He had power. He wasn't saying that that is, is sinful. The issue was that his wealth was his treasure. Some of us think that we can follow Jesus while holding on to our earthly treasures. And the earthly treasures that you possess, they might not even be sinful but they're first in your life. And so now, because they're first, now it's sinful because now I'm not willing to give it up to follow Jesus. Your treasure could be a good thing. Your treasure could be your family. But if it comes before God, you've made an idol out of your family. It doesn't have to be a sin. It doesn't have to be drugs. 
Does it have to be alcoholism? It could be whatever you treasure. It could be a good thing. It could be something that God blessed you with. It could be that beautiful job, that beautiful career that God gave you. It could be your ministry. And you put your ministry before God. Now your ministry is an idol. Whatever you treasure on earth, you must be willing to give up if you're going to follow me. Now this, this troubled the young man. He, was, he, he wasn't having this. He didn't like it. Because he was just, you know, you know what happened? His imperfection was exposed. Because in his mind, I've done all this. I've, I've kept all the commandments since my youth. I, I was ra- My mama raised me right. I know the law. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm blessed. I've got... I've got wealth in, in Jewish culture. If you were, if you had money, you were considered wealth. This is why Peter says, well, who can be blessed? Who, who can be saved then? And then Jesus says, you have to follow me. You have to leave everything that you know, everything that you treasure and follow me. It exposed his imperfection and his unwillingness to give up. And verse 24 says, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't speaking of wealth as, as in what's in the bank. He's, he's speaking it as, as in what's in your heart. What is your treasure this morning? What is that one thing? We're getting personal now. What is that one thing that you are unwilling to let go of? That one thing that if Jesus said, lay it down and follow me, you would get offended by what is that one thing that you, you tell God, God, anything, anything but that? Anywhere but there. Anyone but him. Church, we are called to be holy, but the only way to achieve holiness is to let go of what we treasure and follow the standard of holiness. Then we will be brought into holiness. See, this man was so wrong in his thinking, man. Because, because he believed that eternal life was something that he could inherit on his own by, by mere human action. And, I, man, I've talked to people who, who, uh, who, who believe, like, that they can work backwards when it comes to holiness. I don't, know if I, I don't know if you know what I mean, but I had a conversation one time with somebody. It was a gentleman. And, man, he was, he was so confused, man. He was so lost. He was hurting. You could tell that this man needed Jesus. And the first thing I, I, I tell him is, is, have you accepted Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? Are, are, are you living? Have you just given up everything and said, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you? And he said, you know what he said? He said, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to make that commitment. Has anybody heard that response before? It's pretty common, right? So I didn't think much of it. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's a pretty common response. Sometimes people need time. But then what he tells me kind of blew my mind. He says, he said, I've been reading my Bible. He said, I'm making myself listen to worship music. He says, I'm trying to do good. I'm, he said, I, man, I disconnected Facebook. I'm not, I'm not watching TV. I'm, I'm trying to become pure before coming to Jesus. And I, I was like, bro, you've got it so wrong. You've got it so backwards. You're trying to become holy without having made the commitment to follow the Holy One. You're, you can't be good without God because God is the only one who is good. 
And, and many times we treat Jesus like he's our guidance counselor to holiness instead of recognizing that he is the one that we need to be holy. But the offensive part is that it comes at the expense of what you treasure. And again, your treasure, you know, your treasure isn't always going to be something that you actually desire. I want you to hear me on this one. Your treasure isn't always something that you desire. Sometimes it's just something that you can't let go of. Moses. It was very difficult for Moses to let go of his fear. He had to be pressed. He, man, he had, God had to like talk him into it. And he almost disobeyed the call over his life because the fear in him he couldn't let go of. What was Jonah's treasure? It was his hatred for the people that he was called to reach. He hated it so much that he ran away from it. I don't want to preach to them. They're going to get saved. I don't want that. For Peter, it was, it was almost his self-hatred for denying Jesus. His inability to forgive himself. For would-be disciples, many would-be disciples, it was their family. We all have something that we keep that is so difficult for us to be willing to let go of. But you want to live a holy life? That means putting God above everything else. You want to live a holy life? It means putting God first. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but God wants to be number one. I'm gonna, if, you're, if you're going to be baptized, I'm going to dismiss you now. You can follow Pastor Brandon. Can I get, can I get some keys? Hold on. Let me, let me still, hold on. Come on, come on. Go back here. Hold on. I still, I still got something to say. Hold on. Not, not, not to you baptizers, everybody else who was clapping. We'll clap at the end. Clap at the end. God wants to be first in your life, okay? He doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be a close second. He wants to be first. When we make God first, holiness follows. Because when we're walking directly behind God, there is no space for anything that is not holy. God tells his people repeatedly in scripture, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. He tells us what to do, but he also tells us how to do it. Well, you say, where's that, Pastor Ryan? Where does he say where does he tell us how to do it? He says, be holy as I am holy. Someone say that. As I am holy. That is the how. This, this implies that we must be close enough to God to see his holiness in order for us to model it. The closer you are to God, the more of the holiness of God you will see. The closer you are to God, the more presence of God that you are surrounded by, the more you're going to understand because your questions are going to change. God, what do you want from me? God, where do you want me? 
God, I want to be a pleasing aroma. I want to be a pleasing sacrifice. Reveal it to me, Holy Spirit. And he will begin to speak. And sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice. But when you're right here real close, you can hear what he is saying. Be holy as I am holy. But you can't be holy when you're not near God because you can't model it. You can't see it. And so I believe that God is calling us to draw closer to him, closer than maybe we've ever been before. Closer. Closer. God, I want to be closer to you, Lord. Because the closer I am to you, the closer I am to holiness. The closer I am to you, the closer I am to to the purpose that you have for me. The closer I am to you, my God, the more that I can hear your voice. Bring us closer. If you desire holiness, if you desire a life that is holy and set apart, and taken to a new level of anointing like I believe so many of you desire. If that's you, I want you to stand. I want you to stand this morning. Everybody, come on, everybody stand. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a very bold altar call. Can I get the rest of the worship team up here? I got a bold altar call. Okay, I don't know how many people are going to respond to it when I was, when I was thinking about how to, how to close it out and, and how to do the response to the message. I believe that, you know, God just told me what to do and I didn't think too much about it because I was already getting it in my own head. I was saying, God, I, I don't know if anybody's going to come to the altar because it's very bold. But I want to challenge somebody this morning who is brave enough to admit, God, I've not put you first in my life. Can we, just, can we, bow, can we bow our heads, close our eyes? I, 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 want you to, I want you just to have a moment with God. And if you can say that this morning, honestly, God, I've not put you first in my life. But I desire holiness. I desire more. I I desire your presence. I desire an anointing. I desire to be used in the capacity that you see me being used, my God. But I have not put you first. And I can't say yes to you all the way because I've got something in the way. If that's you this morning, I don't know who's coming. I don't know if anyone's coming, but if that's you, I want you to make that bold move this morning. And say, I want to commit to making you first. And I'm going to ask that you step forward as a step of faith, as as a step of commitment. Say, God, I am putting you first from this moment because you have not been first. And I'm sorry. And I pray your forgiveness. And and, and, and maybe I've made you second. Maybe I've made you third, my God. But I know that you want to be first, my God. If that's you, these altars are open. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if you've stepped forward, I just want you to begin to just speak to God, just you and God. This is a moment. This is a moment of 
of, of, of just personal intimacy between you and God. God, forgive us, Lord. God, forgive us when we put you on, on, on the passenger seat, my God. Forgive us when we put you in the back seat, my God. Forgive us, my God, when we don't say no because our priorities are elsewhere. Forgive us, my God. I want you to be first, my God. I am making you first, my God. Let's worship. Let's worship. I'm going to have the worship team sing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.